0: Hey Bowlers, you're listening to Bull After Bowl Episode 4 on Sunday, April 13th, 2014. I'm smoking bowl after bowl. And I smoke! Bowl after bowl after bowl after bowl after bowl after bowl. And I smoke! Okay, so I'm sitting down today with my girlfriend and roommate, uh, Lorian Rose, who you may know from on-campus journalism school, things of this nature. So, say hello, Lorian. Hey. Hello. So, we have to uh, talk about a few things today, but first of all, let's talk about how how did we meet?
1: Uh, well, technically through marijuana activism, Um, I came to college and wanted to get involved immediately. So I went to a normal meeting, an MU normal meeting, and Spencer was there, and he seemed like he was the president or something. Uh, Apparently he wasn't, but I messaged him on Facebook anyways after some stalking, and uh, I told him I wanted to get involved. And he messaged me back about, I don't know, a week or two later at like four in the morning and said, hey, uh, sorry it took me so long to get back to you. Uh, there's an event tomorrow, though, in Joplin called Cannabis Revival, and if you want to go, I'm looking for a ride, because I don't want to take my motorcycle down there. Um, and I guess he had a ride, but they were gonna stop in St. Louis, which was gonna add like three hours to the trip and seem kind of stupid yeah
0: we would have had to go to st louis from columbia and then all the way down to joplin making a five-hour trip (laughs) into like a seven and a half eight-hour trip
1: so coincidentally there is this boy in my dorm room that night who'd been trying to get into my pants and uh i ended up sleeping on the floor and he took my bed (laughs) (laughs) um and so that's why i was up at 5 a.m checking my facebook because i couldn't sleep on the fucking floor um and i i was like i woke this kid up and i was like hey you have a car right he's like yeah i was like you want to go to a hippie festival he was like yeah sure i was like okay good then let's go we gotta go pick this dude up (laughs) and i hopped in the shower and got ready and uh we went and got spencer and i thought he was angelic and he slept most of the car ride Mm -hmm. Um, but I, I also had some bets with this kid. I was like, you know, uh, let me know if you think that Spencer's gay or not, because I kind of want to make a move, but <laughs> if he's gay, then I don't want to. And, uh, it, it took, uh, we stopped at Wendy's, uh, before going to Cannabis Revival, and, um, decided to mow down on some chow, and Spencer got, like, a, a lid full of ketchup. <laughs> and right. I, Right, so I,
0: usually when I... I'm at a fast food place. The little fucking paper cups that they give you to fill up like a quarter ounce of ketchup are just not enough for me. Not reasonably. And I don't want to grab two or three or four or twelve of those fucking little tiny things of ketchup. So what I usually do is I grab a drink lid, usually either a medium or a large, and I'll flip that upside down. Maybe put a napkin under it so it doesn't leak and I fill that up with ketchup, and that usually is enough. And it's delivered in a method that's nice, and you can dip a whole French fry in it and get enough ketchup on your fry.
1: Right, and I love ketchup, so this was a huge turn on to me. <laughs> uh, but such is the women way—the woman way, I guess—that. Uh, If we really like something, we have to be totally mean about it. So I decided to look Spence in the eyes and tell him that what he was doing was socially unacceptable, to which he replied that everything he did was socially unacceptable, to which I was like, well, then you're perfect. That sounds great. (laughs) Let's get married. Um, but so it, it was at that point when he sat next to me on the booth and our knees touched that uh, <laughs> Nick, the boy that wanted me, was like, hey, uh, he's not gay. And I was like, oh, okay, good. Then I'm going full force. Uh, so we we got to Cannabis Revival, smoked a little, talked to some great people um, in the movement, one of them being Mark Pedersen, who will be on this podcast eventually, and, um, you know, it was a long car ride, three or four hours, so I was tired. I was like, hey, let's go lay in the grass and whatever. And so we did, and I rolled over next to Spencer and started cuddling, and then next thing you know, we were kissing, and then next thing you know, like, I don't know, we were just holding hands and having a good old time at Cannabis Revival. There you go. Um, And, you know, car ride back. Nick was pissed. The guy that wanted me. And so I hopped from the passenger seat to the back seat where Spencer was and uh, sat on top of him and started making out and grabbing his dick a little. And then he spent the night at my dorm room and we've dated ever since.
0: Yeah, it's... Uh,
1: I mean, that's a summary version, but...
0: It's kind of a weak spot. When you grab a man's dick, uh, he's probably going to try and spend the night with you.
1: Yeah. And, of course... Um, I mean, I I thought he was coming over to my dorm room to watch The Labyrinth, you know. <laughs> right. Right. i <I'm> was just kidding. <laughs> but I was surprised when I took his pants off and he wasn't wearing underwear. That I mean, was yeah. there. I knew there was no going back at that point. I never wear underwear. Yeah. Um. And then I also after we had sex. Um. Well, we had talked a lot. We got to know each other. Yeah. Over the yeah. Course it of that. wasn't like a. Yeah. It wasn't like oh, you're so hot. You're so hot. I mean, we spent
0: fuck? like six. 16 hours together, kind of.
1: Yeah, we spent all day. In the same
0: car and in the same space. We
1: got pizza at Rollins for late night because I still had my meal swipes. That's the benefit, (laughs) hooking up with freshmen. Oh, yeah. They
0: have unlimited meal plans, usually way too much. Oh, yeah, way too much.
1: So we talked, and uh, basically, I didn't want to bullshit around in college. I wasn't here to party and have a good time. I was here to get down to business and get into activism. So I gave Spencer an ultimatum. I said, you know, this is great. You're probably never going to see me again, and that makes me sad. But if you want to see me again, then you got to date me. And he was like, oh, let me think on that.
0: I was in no position to date because of the women I had seen in recent times just kind of turned me off of the whole dating scene, and I... But I had just said to myself, you know, if I meet anyone that's going to be worth it, it'll be doing something I love. It'll be doing something that has to do with activism, this kind of thing. And, you know, we both had the same ACT score, which is kind of nerdy and freaky. Like, it just, so many things to the puzzle fit together where I was just like, all right, fine. Like, I'll date you, but just don't tell anyone.
1: Well, yeah, because I was 17. You were
0: 17 at the time, I I was 21. Um, the thing that was kind of frowned upon, even though the arbitrary selection of numbers is like, who's going to pick, you know, how old is too old? How young is too young? What number is proper?
1: Yeah, but he woke up in the middle of the night and told me that, yeah, sure, whatever, we could date, <laughs> even though it wouldn't be Facebook official till I was 18, who gives a right. fuck?
0: And so now here we are, two and a half years later, dicking around.
1: Yeah, making a podcast and Making shit. a podcast.
0: Today, the, uh, and actually all this weekend, we went to Roachport, Missouri, <laughs> which is a new favorite stomping ground of ours, kind of. Oh, we yeah. had dealt with Roachport a little bit before. Um, Mike Hagan, who was on the last podcast, he lives in Roachport, just on the other side of the highway from downtown. and uh, Beautiful property. Awesome, with a little lake, and he's got a little paddle boat and everything, man. He's got the hookup. And then, uh, we had also been to Roachport, um, our good friend Arrow phrase of Gotcha Costumes. We worked at Gotcha for a while, and after the Halloween season, which is like, as you can imagine, the most hectic season a costume shop can go through, uh, you know, the first week in November, he took us out to a... Nice little ret- restaurant in Rochport, bought yeah. us dinner and stuff. He took so, all
1: his employees out there. It was awesome. Mm-hmm.
0: And so now we were back on Friday morning. We actually did a photo shoot.
1: <laughs> Tell Yeah, explain that.
0: So I'm a nude art model for MU, for the art school. And I got an email saying, hey, there's a photography student who's trying to do her uh, class project, and she needs, um, she needs people who are going to pose for her photos or whatever, you know, it's a nude outdoor shoot, and I'm always the kind of dude that kind of jumps on that of stuff, I love that kind of opportunity to help people with their art, and sort of, you know, whatever, so, um, I emailed her back, and was like, yeah, I'd be happy to do it, she texted me and said that she was working with um this guy she knew well and a friend of hers who was a girl and they were doing kind of a couple shoot couple poses and stuff and i was like well hey lauren might be interested you know we could like both do the shoot together so i was like hey lauren you want a model for this photography kid they're looking for couples and she's just like yeah okay fine so I'm trying to finalize details, and we're eating at Ernie's. And Lorian's like, "Hey, so what should I wear to this photo shoot?" And I'm like, "Hey, it's it's like a nude photo shoot. You probably probably doesn't matter what you wear because we're not going to be wearing anything at all."
1: And I, I was like, "Oh man! I mean, I never, I'd always wanted to do the nude modeling, but I don't know, just never got pushed into it. I guess right. And there's that really, whole. I yeah. mean, there's
0: a huge stigma against." Obviously being naked in front of strangers is a big deal for a lot of people just because of how we've been primed and programmed. It's not something that you're supposed to do. Ooh, I'm naked. That's a big deal, you know. Which is Whatever. Stupid, but they saw but my th- dick. Wow, holy shit.
1: But it's uh, okay. So he said it was a new shoot. I was like, fine. All right, I'll bring my robe. It's cool. Um.
0: So we're going to Roachport in the morning, and we're driving down there trying to meet her. And uh, we,
1: park we park in this little trail parking lot, and I'm like, oh, is this her house nearby? And Spencer's like, no, we're doing the photo shoot outside and I'm like we're getting naked in the great outdoors? Are you kidding me? All, well, all right, then I guess I'm going all the way. <laughs> so
0: Lorian, even though she was pissed, she was still brave enough to do the whole shoot. And oh, yeah. it was kind of incredible, really. It was sort of therapeutic. Like we,
1: Yeah, it was really romantic, I thought.
0: It was. And we were out sort of in the flood plains of the Missouri River, yeah, all natural. Like, and it kind of, you know... In the
1: mud, up in to our mud, knees and water. You know, in some creeks. And it's just brush. kind of
0: like... It made you really appreciate how... You know, how we used to be such a part of nature. We used to have to live with the with the flows, the ebbs and the flows of nature. And, you know, now we're so disconnected from it that we can't even walk around <laughs> barefoot yeah, thing, by a creek, you know, and without thing, being afraid.
1: One thing that cracked me up was that the photographer kept saying, you know, oh, if, if this hurts your feet or anything, or, you know, if you, if you don't want to go into the brush or... Oh, well, you know, just let me know if you're uncomfortable. And it was just like, how can you be uncomfortable outside? Like, right. I understand, like, I might get a thorn in my foot or something, but, you know, hundreds of years ago, people were walking around barefoot in this right. shit. Right, this is the and they way. Were fine.
0: I mean, men used to run down deer with spears and have to kill them with their bare hands or with sticks, you know, and sticks and stones and arrows, you know, with maybe just a loincloth on. But. It's just kind of, it struck us both as ridiculous how difficult it was to just walk around out in the woods naked, you know? Yeah,
1: and we also had to worry about passerbys and stuff, because, you know, if someone catches you, you could get in trouble, legal trouble, for being naked outside.
0: (laughs) So, uh, we're here smoking... Newport menthols, and word on the street is that the FDA is considering a ban on Newport's. Or, not on Newport's, but on, on menthol-flavored cigarettes, yes.
1: Yes. Uh, basically, you know, the FDA banned flavored cigarettes and, um, you know, vanilla coffee, stuff like that, because they said it appealed to children too much. Right. But they didn't ban menthol, and now, I guess, uh, since then, they've been saying, oh, it was a mistake to not ban menthol, blah, blah, blah. so they want to go back. And ban them, and that really sucks. You know,
0: I don't even really enjoy menthols like you do, but yeah, I'm gonna I keep menthols. smoking them now because they're gonna ban them. I believe that a ban on menthol cigarettes is absolutely racist.
1: Yeah, I would agree. I'm one of the few white people that goes into the gas station and I mean, says, "Hey, I want Newport's." <laughs>
0: clearly, they are the choice of black smokers, yeah. a menthol cigarette. And the FDA now wants to ban them, wants to ban menthols. So, you know, where, where where's Obama now? Where is <laughs> Where is your help? Where is your fucking support? You have no support. Yeah. Menthol smokers, you have no fucking support in a government. They're going to ban, they're going to tell you what to do, they're going to tell you what you can put in your body. They're going to tell you, you know, this is bad for you. Here, take this riddle and eat this cheeseburger and you'll be fine.
1: Well, if they do try to pass this ban, I will go buy as many cartons of menthols as I can and put up a sign that says FDA go away and sit and smoke my menthols right in in front of them. If they
0: ban menthol cigarettes... There's not going to be any shortage in the people who still want to <laughs> smoke some menthol cigarettes. And now you're going to have black market menthol cigarettes. You're going to have people bootlegging menthol cigarettes and selling them for ten times the value. Yeah, You're going to have...
1: Make more crime.
0: You're going to have the Mexican cartels of menthol cigarettes, you know? That's exactly what the fuck we need in this country right now at this point.
1: That's the whole prohibition issue. Oh, Jesus.
0: So... <laughs> Uh, let's step back a little bit and talk about how
1: I got here. How did you
0: get to Missouri? Where are you from? Uh, What are you doing here? It's a long way from the East Coast. I'm
1: I'm originally from Massachusetts. (laughs) My parents were in the FBI. Um, that had a lot on my upbringing. Um, so I lived with my grandparents because they had to commute to Boston every day, and they were gone most of the time. And I got to see them on the weekends and stuff. And, uh, I had an older sister who was 21 years older than me, huh? and, um, <laughs> it's a big difference. <laughs> so we didn't have much in common, but she ran with the Latin Kings, which, um, you know, if you don't know who they are, look it up. And she was kind of heavy into drugs, she'd been to rehab for prescription stuff and heroin, and, um, you know, basically it was, like, her, the evil kid, and then me, this, like, straight-A amazing student, whatever, So I hit 13, and I always thought she was the coolest person I'd ever met. And so I wanted to know her better. And we started talking and becoming really close friends. And a year later, uh, I came home one day, and my parents were there. And that was weird. And they were crying, and my grandpa was crying, and my grandma just looked stoic as always. And my mom said, Marcy had an accident. And I didn't know what that meant. But um, the night before that, they had gone into the hospital and identified her body. Um, and unfortunately no one really knows how she died, but it got written off as a suicide slash cocaine overdose. Which, um it's it's pretty hard to O D on cocaine. And um God knows some
0: people have tried and tried. Yeah.
1: So I I thought it was kind of weird. My dad wanted the cops to look into it, which right then I was like, you know, there is something going on here. Um, Her fiance at the time was running with some kingpins in Massachusetts, and he owed them a lot of money. This is all stuff that my dad found out on his own personal investigation. Um, When she died, he took all of her shit and sold it. So she had this Camaro that she had you know, fixed up herself and made beautiful, as bright red, it was like a 76, and that was gone, all of her shit was gone, um, because he owed so much fucking money, I guess, I don't know, and so I just wanted the cops to look into this and arrest the guy that killed my sister, and when I went down there as a 14-year-old to make a plea to these law enforcement agents... They just laughed in my face, and they were like, you know, what did he say to me? Oh, it really ticked me off. He said, the world's better off without people like your sister. And I just <sighs> lost it. I was bawling, and I just had to get out of there because I thought I was going to punch a cop. for. The- I was 14. My parents were in the FBI. I thought that law enforcement people were there to bring justice, and then to have this cop say that to me? I was just the worst feeling in the world. And uh, that's when I decided, you know what, like, something needs to be done, something needs to be said about this. And I loved writing, and I also had an interest in, you know, investigative work because of what my parents did and stuff, and I wanted to bring justice. And so I decided that investigative journalism was my path, and the best journalism school in the nation was the University of Missouri. So I decided to come here,
0: and here I
1: am today. Here
0: you are. (laughs) So, uh, you came here for journalism, uh, you came here, and, uh, what's been your experience so far? Do you feel like you've got the best journalism education your money could have bought?
1: (laughs) Uh, well... Honestly, I think that the best way to educate yourself is to just go out and do it. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, you can't really buy knowledge. Right. And so far, I mean...
0: Well, and there's the Missouri Method talking to okay, you, right? Okay, so
1: the Missouri Method is that you go and you get the hands-on whatever. So what they did is they required all print and digital journalism students... You take a class at the Missourian, the Columbia Missourian, which is a known, not so respected uh, <laughs> publication in town. Right um, now, it's not a student publication because they've hired editors to work there, and um, and uh, basically we're doing so free work.
0: Just just to back up for a second, you say it's not a student publication. So there's the Man Eater on right. on campus, which is a student led, student runs. And uh university funded, so you know, through your university fees, student funded uh paper, right? Yep. And they would publish stories that the students approve of, the whole editorial board, everything is run by students basically. Correct. And so the Missourian differs in that the editors are hired staff and professors, basically, mm-hmm. and there's a little bit less student input and it's right. more you're being
1: we're like, being told what to write, basically. Sure. Uh I mean we can pitch story ideas, but uh, for my experience, most of them will get shut down because, oh, if you're me, you're usually going to pitch some controversial issues, and the Missourian doesn't really, uh, they want to stay away from the gray areas, they want things to be black and white, to put it lightly. Um, so it it, it hasn't been a great experience. I I still love journalism. Um, but I, if I'm going to keep going on with the journalism path, I definitely think that it needs some redefining. Um, I don't necessarily want to work for an agency or for anyone who's going to tell me what I can and can't publish and stuff. So I'm kind of on my own right now, hoping after this I can freelance and maybe start my own publication one next <laughs> right on well um let's or see do you have any more questions about that
0: yeah let let me uh talk about some of your uh more i don't know uh more followed articles like uh, okay uh, what, what? pennies
1: from heaven sure okay <laughs> when i first started working at the man eater um i was on the citizens police review board beat which is a pretty good place to, for me i would think as in you know with my past and I don't know, I was interested in police citizen issues here. So I went to this meeting, and it was pretty boring, but uh, Chief Ken Burton was there, and he mentioned how he was using the forfeiture funds to buy, um, (laughs) I don't even remember how he put up, but gadgets and new toys for the cops, and I thought that was a little fishy, so I took a note of that while I was there. And I started looking into it, and I came to find out that forfeiture funds are supposed to go to the public schools. Right. Um, so that was all sorts of fucked up. So I went straight to the crime editor at the Maneater, and I was like, hey, I think I have a really big story. I don't think anyone else is going to write about this. And she said, "She looked it up. She said, wow, this is kind of huge. And we wrote an article that's one of the most read articles from the University of Missouri, I'd say, in the past four years. Uh, and it was basically just called Pennies for he- from Heaven. If you look that up, you'll find it. Um, and it's been cited from the group Americans for Forfeiture Reform. It's It was cited on Fox News on the John Stossler show. Stossel. Stossel. I'm sorry, you can edit that, I guess. No, that's all right. We'll leave it. Go great. <laughs> And, um, and you sound like an idiot.
0: <laughs> no, it's okay. But we'll we'll uh, give you a link in the show notes to this article that we're talking about that uh, Lorraine wrote for the Maneater. And,
1: and basically, if I had if I had pitched that to the Missourian, um, what would have been said to me is well, you know, forfeiture is kind of a gray issue and people talk about it a little too much. No one's really interested in that. So why don't you focus on what the meeting was actually about, which is citizen-police relations and how they're improving. (laughs) So, yeah, it makes me sick. (laughs) What do you
0: think uh, the biggest difference between... Because you've written for The Maneater, you've written for The Missourian. What do you think the biggest difference between writing for those two publications are? Because they're both... Uh, I mean they're both seen as the university publication yeah like the,
1: right. the Missourian
0: is clearly the University of Missouri publication but then the main editor is the student newspaper well so. you know
1: I think that the students are uh, I think that student journalism students are eager I think they want to go break some news and tell some untold stories and at the Missourian uh, the editors want to focus more on the press releases that they're being handed and they want the students to focus more on how accurate their reporting is and can you fact check can you follow up with sources can you do a phone call to the contact person on the press release, you know, uh, they're just more focused on how to do journalism versus what journalism's all about, I would say. And um, honestly, I mean, I thoroughly enjoyed my time at The Man I served as crime editor for a semester, and I thought we had, you know, we had a great time. It was just like... We looked for issues, we wrote about issues, controversial or not. We weren't just recording press releases. If we got a press release at the Maneater, we would make a blog post about it. Oh, press release came in, there was a shooting on Whirly. Whoop de doo, they're looking for the suspect. Um, at the Missourian, that would be a whole article, and it might even make front page, one-sided press release, CPD looking for suspect, blah, blah, blah. <laughs> I don't know. I don't know. <laughs> There's a lot more freedom at the Maneater, and a lot more uh, eagerness and investigative integrity, I guess.
0: So, uh, a quick Google search for your name and no other characters besides just Lori and Rose, and after seeing you know the social media bullshit, I come across this WordPress blog, uh, LoriAndRose.com, wordpress.com So what's what's going on there? Right. This is a beautiful looking WordPress. Thank I... you.
1: Um, at the J School, we are required to make an online portfolio, and <laughs> they want you to do it in the form of a WordPress account. They want you to blog, blah blah. But of course, I didn't want to follow the rules on that, so I just kind of tried to make up my own site. Okay. <laughs> and so if you go to laurianrose.wordpress.com um, you'll come to this intro page. Who is Lorian Rose? And you can read a little snippet about me. Um, there's also, I have some clips on there in case that any future employers decide to look me up and, you know, they want to read what I've done. Pennies from Heaven is on there under my man section. My resume is on there. You can download it. Um, also there's direct links to my Twitter and Facebook accounts. And I also have a page that's uh, currently being worked on called Hobbies. And, um, if you go on there, you'll see the, the, I make dream catchers. <laughs> And, um, that all started because when I was a little kid, I had some severe night terrors. Uh, you know, I thought there were monsters under my bed and my closet, and I just couldn't sleep. I wanted the lights on all the time. I was afraid of the dark. So, my grandma, who's from Sweden, she seemed to have an answer to everything. Um, and she told me that a Native American dream catcher would solve my problem. And I was like, what's that? And she was like, well, you know, I'll help you make one. So we took a, you know, paper plate and we punched some holes in it, put some yarn through it, put some beads on it, hung it over my bed, and the placebo effect came and worked for me. Uh, that dream catcher that we made just took all the night terrors away. And so uh, I found myself last winter break back in Massachusetts visiting with my grandma, which has been kind of important to me since my grandpa died. She's been pretty lonely. And, uh, she was a huge part of my upbringing, so, you know, it's good to give back. And, uh, I was like, man, she's really crafty, she's a crafty woman, and I've always loved art and music and crafts and stuff, and so I wanted to do something on my own while I was there, and I was just like, hey, you know what, I bet I could make some really cool dream catchers now that I'm older, you know, not made from paper plates. So I started bending some wire and using some yarn and beads and shit, and I started making dream catchers, and, um... As I've played around with them and different methods and working on getting my webbing tighter and better and stronger, um, they've improved a lot. And so now I make, what, dream catchers for people. I can make you a custom-made dream catcher whenever you want. And I have an Etsy store. Um, The store name is The American Dreams. I think if you go to etsy.com slash shop slash the American Dreams, that's the direct link. Uh, we'll put that in the show notes, too. And, um, yeah, I've currently got five Dreamcatchers on there for sale, reasonably priced. And if you message me and you're like, hey, I don't have 20 bucks to give you for a Dreamcatcher, but I really love what you're all about and you're an interesting person and I don't know, whatever, I want a dream catcher, then you just hit me up. I'm always willing to make a deal. I mean, I make them for fun, you know, and I love doing it. And like I said before, if you want a custom-made dreamcatcher, you want some Rasa red, yellow, green dreamcatcher. I can do that. I can do anything. So, <laughs> so I'm
0: kind of. It's kind of unique because we're uh, recording, obviously, here from the from the homestead, and I'm looking at the the gallery here on okay. your webpage of the dreamcatchers, but I'm also looking at the actual product here on the walls. And it's funny because I'm not. I can't really tell what's more beautiful. I mean, you got some cool. Um, obviously you've used some pick stitch here to stitch some, uh, different angles and views together of the dream catchers and kind of capture the light and the color. Right. But then to see them in real life and, you know, see that it's not just photography tricks to make them look cool, but that you actually take a lot of time and, uh, you know, the detail work on your webbing is crazy. Awesome. I really love it. So, uh, yeah, if you want yourself a dream catcher...
1: Yeah, um, or even if you just want to see them in person, if the, you think the photos are terrible, you know, just hit me up. I'll show you my dream catchers. I can bring them wherever. <laughs> so that's that.
0: Uh, Etsy, by the way, is E-T-S-Y, etsy.com, slash shop, slash The American Dreams, all one word. And you can find uh, you can find those. And we'll, like we said, we'll put a link in to make it easier. So... What else? What do you think? What are your dreams? What do you hope to do? Where do you see yourself ten years from now, Lorian?
1: Oh, gosh. <laughs> I like to take life one day at a time. That's fair. Um, but, you know, growing up, I spent a lot of time focused on music. And, um, I don't know, I went to acting school. That was a fucking joke. <laughs> and, uh, I mean, I, I, I'm very one-self. I uh, I can't... Well, Spencer and I talk about this a lot... If I walk into a room, I can't mold my personality to fit the people around me. I'm just always myself. Whether that means I'm going to be the elephant in the room or I'm going to fit in perfectly, you know. It's kind of, I don't know. I'm not a moldable person. I have a very strong personality and self. So, uh... I I'm really interested in getting into music, aside from my journalism. I'll never let writing go. Writing's really important to me. But, um, you know, through the rough times, through the easy times, music's always been there for me, uh, like for anyone. And music is a vital part of being human. Uh, as the saying goes, I do think that music can save the mortal soul. <laughs> So I would love to eventually... I used to sing in a band um, on the East Coast. We did pretty well, but then I moved for college, um, and just you know, haven't met the right people here. Haven't met people that share my dreams and interests. Uh, I mean, Spencer does. so <laughs> Spencer plays drums. Um, you know, so if you're looking for a band, and you need a, or you know, you want to meet some cool people and jam sometime. There you we're go. Here. If you
0: play guitar or bass and or keyboard you want to be in a Or mandolin man.
1: or violin or whatever. Shoot uh, an
0: email to Spencer at bullafterbull.com, bowl and we'll get in a discussion and try and find out if you're a creepster or not.
1: Yeah, because. Because Lorian just wants to be a rock star. There you go. (laughs)
0: There you go. Well, you have high aspirations, high dreams. You shoot for the stars. Yeah. That's, you know, one of the things I respect about you the most is that you're not willing to compromise on uh, what you want and what you want to achieve. So I'm looking at uh, the sticky notes here of what we've typed, and we've really gone over most of the things that we wanted to talk about, uh, but... Let's see, do not leave shit on the floor, so earlier I ran to check...
1: Oh, this is a great story.
0: Earlier I ran to check on the chicken, and my stupid Underwood typewriter that doesn't work is laying in the middle of the floor, so I cut my toe open.
1: He was running, and he hit it directly with his foot. And the toe caught it, blood everywhere. He falls onto a box of my shit, breaks the box, which is fine, you know. But then just <laughs> butt-ass naked lays there with his ass. i go ow. Right. Oww. So I decided to type on his sticky note, don't leave shit should... on the floor. Just, just you
0: mentioned me. that I'm, I'm still butt-ass naked. Yeah, he's I still
1: butt-ass naked. That's fine.
0: Don't usually wear clothes the house. No. No need to. It's just absolutely an extra step I don't want to deal with. But what can you do? I mean.
1: I'm half naked.
0: We were all born in this way so so uh is there anything else you'd like to talk about you'd like to mention or you'd like to say to the people out there for this particular episode (laughs) sort of like Um,
1: a meet and greet for you i mean hopefully i'll be on more podcasts coming up soon since we share a house right and i'm usually here (laughs) (laughs) but uh you know for all those dreamers out there keep on dreaming don't settle um anything's possible don't limit yourself And uh, anyone that tells you you can't, which there's plenty of people who've done that for me, so I'm sure there's plenty of people who've done that for you, just tell them to shove it up their ass and, you know, fucking settle for less. I don't know. Uh, Anything's possible, like I said before. And, you know, you may not get all your dreams, but if you don't have any dreams, then where the fuck are you going to go? You're going to stay in one place. There you go. Lame, so.
0: A wise man once said that if you aim for nothing, you'll hit it every time. So, um, another thing that we did today was we went to the backyard and we built ourselves an good old-fashioned fire pit so if any of you joyful listeners would like to join us for a beer around a fire anytime whether it's tonight or anytime this summer just hit us up uh you know where to get at us if you don't know where to get at us like i said earlier send me an email spencer at bowl bowl and we'd be happy to try and light some fire and grab you a beer and uh, see what's up with you. Also, if you have any kind of suggestions for future shows or, you know, things to talk about, things to do, if you're promoting an event, if you're an artist and you're trying to get your art show excuse me get your art shown somewhere uh send me an email i know a few people in town who like to put on shows like to do art thingies and uh i would be more than happy to try and get in touch with you find out what you're all about um because this is more than just me telling everyone what i'm all about that will get old very quick i'm interested in trying to find out what you're all about why are you listening to me why are you doing this why are you clicking on this podcast why are you sitting through half an hour to an hour of me droning on with my friends so just send me an email. Get in touch with me. I'm a real person here on the planet Earth, as are you. And we can collaborate. We can do things together. Uh, having said that, thanks so much, Lorian, for taking the time out of your very busy and demanding oh, yeah. schedule and sitting down with me. Thank and, you. Yeah, of course. Anytime. I'm sure that you'll be back on <laughs> I'm again. around. You know. <laughs> you will be chatting with the good people, Uh, listeners. Thank you so much for listening. Thanks so much for uh, supporting the show and its emphasis. Those curious people, uh, stick around because it's gonna go cool places. We got a few events coming up. We got a few people that are gonna be on the podcast uh rumor has it. I might eventually talk to some of the uh key players in Dogecade. I know that I mentioned that on the last show uh Dogecade is a little uh game you can it's a little app that you can download and you can play games for uh dogecoin and uh so I might have a skype interview or two with some people involved with that also uh just as a crypto update right now, I'm looking at the Bitcoin price and it's uh According to Pre, 410 dollars a Bitcoin. According to uh, Bitcoinity, 412. So it's hovering there, kind of steady. It's nice because you know at the beginning of the year it was a thousand per Bitcoin, and now it's down to about 400, 410, 420, hovering up and down around there. So it's kind of like. A second wave you can get in early on the ground floor because this the price will go up again people and uh, in the long run maybe it will fail maybe it will succeed no one really knows that's the thing about Bitcoin is it's all speculation however there are a few more bubbles to come that much is for sure there's so much adoption going on in the market right now plenty of people are starting to accept Bitcoin Uh, sports teams are accepting bitcoins for tickets there's a bunch of Bitcoin ATMs being put in. So whether in the long run it succeeds or fails, it will be here for at least the short term. And at the price this low, uh, looking at the history, it's a great time to get in and buy some Bitcoin. And just, uh, you know, even if you're gonna just mine some Bitcoin or try and get some through a faucet, it's it's interesting. And uh, it's a gamble worth making in my personal opinion. Now, you, your money is your own. I'm not gonna tell you what you do with the, your money. But just take a look, do some research to, uh look into it it's very interesting it's very interesting stuff um i think that i've run out of things to drone on and on about and uh laurie and i think you did a yeah. swell introduction of yourself oh, thank you so i would like to end this show by saying thank you for listening and may your balls burn ever brighter toodles